For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, author Misty Prophet Thompson talks about finding her way from grief to acceptance. Preview some of the music that will be featured this weekend during Hoko Fest, celebrating 100 years of Hotel Congress with 100 bands. A profile of master photographer Ray Manley, whose favorite subject is the American Southwest. And visit a nationally recognized vegan restaurant in Tucson called Tumerico. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. In the face of great tragedy, like the loss of a loved one to violence, many of us would have to confront the sincerity of our beliefs regarding faith and spirituality. We often hear that it is important to honor our loved ones, but what does this mean in daily practice? My guest, Misty Prophet Thompson, had to face her own crisis of faith in 1993, and after years of depression, she found the path that led her from grief to acceptance, which is the title of her second book of spiritual insights. 1993, definitely a turning point, although I didn't realize the magnitude of it. Um, My sister was missing for 55 days, and we were 18 months apart. And as adults, we weren't that close. So how old was she at this time? Um, At this time, she was 23. This month would be the 26th anniversary. And um, during that time when she was missing, we never dealt with this. My family was very lost. We didn't know what was happening. Law enforcement said we were crazy and that my sister was a wild child and she was just probably out partying and she'd come around at some point. Um, it was just a really traumatic time and, and not knowing my place, I didn't know how to help my mom. I wanted my mom to get help. I wanted to, I didn't know how, but ultimately 55 days later, my sister's remains were found in the desert in Southeastern Arizona. At the time, my mom was so traumatized, of course, but my mom knew something was wrong and it really made me realize that when her remains were found, how grateful we were. And that might sound crazy. I mean, some people would understand that because I feel for the families who never get to see their loved ones and they don't know what happened. They don't know where they're at. They don't have a little bit of closure. We had closure. So we were so grateful for that. But um, it was a huge turning point. I began to see things totally different. Life in itself, different. When people have a tragedy like the one you described occur to them, we don't offer much in the way of infrastructure, emotional infrastructure Mm -hmm. to people. But what would you say to someone who is facing the crisis of having to rebuild their spiritual beliefs, their infrastructure? That is a very difficult thing. Um, And I saw it with my mom mainly. And she had a lot of anger, a whole lot of regret, She blamed herself. She felt guilty, and it was hard to see her 
like that. And and it was hard for me. Um, I, I've been told by people in my family that I didn't care about my sister because I had such a um, different outlook with it. And it, I wasn't at peace, I mean, 100%. I definitely lost my religion. And the reason why, it was not what I expected from a religious standpoint. Um, you know, I was always taught that good people will prevail and evil will be punished. And it wasn't the case in my sister's case. And I just saw things different from that perspective. After that, I was searching for something, something bigger than myself. And I thought religion was it, and it wasn't. It was not there for me. It, it, it showed me what was wrong with my sister's lifestyle, or it showed me what was wrong with my beliefs or what my experiences were. It showed me all of that instead of embracing it and not judging it. There was a lot of judgment, which with religion, you're not supposed to judge, you know, but it was really judgmental. When you talk about harboring anger at that time, mm-hmm. that energy, yes, that's, that's a very strong source of energy. Yes. Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So how did you channel it? Where did that yeah. energy go mm-hmm. when, it, yeah. when it quit being anger? I was angry at everything and everyone. And I would tell people, I'm mad at the world and you're part of it. But I began to realize that... It took a lot of energy to be angry like that all the time. And I was tired. I didn't want to be like that anymore. I didn't want to feel that way anymore. It was old and it wasn't accomplishing anything. I was just stuck going around in a circle and I was just tired of that. And I wanted to move forward. I wasn't a real big believer on some of the things that I was taught at first. But then I thought, I don't have anything to lose because I'm tired of feeling this way. I'm tired of being angry. It's exhausting. I don't want this anymore. What I decided to do was to take a look at myself, the way I was doing things and the way I was handling things. And I would make little changes. And part of those changes was to be who I am because I think that was part of my anger. I was jealous of my sister because she was who she was. She didn't hide it. And I was what everyone else thought I should be. So when I started to kind of slowly peel back and because it didn't happen overnight, it took me a little while to be my true self and to be vulnerable and to show people this is what I believe. And the more I did it, the more empowered I felt. And with that, I just grew so much more spiritual and I began to believe and trust and have more faith. And the more I did that, those little steps I took, the more I did that, the bigger the bigger the rewards were for me. Right in the subtitle of your book, there's a phrase that we hear, but what does it mean? Mm-hmm. Honor our loved ones. Yes. What does that really mean to yes. you? Oh yeah, that's huge. We are here on earth and we tend to be stuck in our grief. But... Our loved ones don't want that for us. And by honoring our loved ones, we need to live the life that promotes our best self, puts our best version out there, to live the life we want to live, to not be afraid. Our loved ones don't want that for us. And 
that is one thing huge I learned from my sister. Because if we get upset, we're not honoring our loved ones because our loved ones want us to be happy. They want what's best for us. So honoring our loved ones is absolutely that, being our best version. Misty Prophet Thompson's latest book is called From Grief to Acceptance. She'll be giving two talks and signing books next week in Tucson on Thursday, September 5th at the Barnes & Noble in the Foothills Mall and on Friday, September 6th at the Barnes & Noble on East Broadway. Both events are from 6 to 8 p.m. You can find more information on the Arizona Spotlight page at azpm.org. Hotel Congress started Hoko Fest 15 years ago as a way to turn the traditionally slow Labor Day weekend into a community celebration. This year, Hoko Fest is literally bigger than ever, and Andrew Brown asked organizer Matt Bacay for a preview. Hoko Fest is uh, simply Hotel Congress Fest, abbreviated. It's our annual Labor Day uh, celebration where we bring in acts from across the seas, across the nation, but also across the state of Arizona, and we mash them all together for a uh, fun-filled weekend. I'm not always as up-to-date on pop culture as I should be. Um, Tell me a little bit about Omar Apollo. Omar is a really cool cat. He's a uh, first-generation Mexican-American from Indiana, not something you would expect to be like the background of a pop star, but in 2019, it actually makes a lot of sense, you know? And he just started out writing these really great bedroom songs. Thankfully for the internet, he was found. She don't really like you, well, boy, kind of like you. You don't really like to mention that to me. And I think people are going to look back on the show and when he's, you know, larger than life pop star status and remember that, oh my gosh, I saw him open up Hoko Fest 2019 and it was like, I could smell him. I was so close. <laughs> Can you tell me about Los Espliffs? Los Espliffs, yeah. Cumbia is really on the rise right now and I think uh, Los Espliffs are really good representative of like the new cumbia movement and Saul is just a great front man and great musician and we're really excited to showcase them on the Friday night at Hotel Congress in partnership with El Tambo. Another band from Phoenix, Phoenix Afrobeat Orchestra. Wow, yeah, there are just like the best festival band, uh, the, you know, 15 people on stage. They're going to play for 90 minutes. People watching are going to be moving the whole time. They just demand that energy. And then a band that I really like, uh, Saramented. I mean, their music is wild. Yeah, Saramented is a cool band. 
they're from the Tohono O'odham Nation and some from Phoenix, but they represent that reservation medal, which uh, in 2019 to me is probably like the most fitting geographical climate for metal music. other end of the spectrum is i think the sunday night show one of my all-time favorite singer songwriters bill callahan we've honestly tried to get him like every year for hoko <laughs> and it finally lined up this year and the album came out and it's just been awesome to watch that i woke up on a 747 Flying through some stock footage of heaven. It's also like the best dad record ever. Well, and you know, the record, the new Bill record came out on Father's Day weekend this year, my first Father's Day. And I was Congratulations. like, yeah, thank you very much. Um, and I was really feeling it <laughs> like on a whole new level. I was, uh, I was connecting with it. There was blood when you were born and the blood was white from your eyes. This must be the light you saw that just left you screaming. And this must be the light you saw before our eyes could disguise true. It also isn't just at Hotel Congress. There's shows all over the place, right? Yeah, and that's a big part of the, this year's growth. Um, we went from one venue, you know, the first 12 or 13 years, and then last year in 2018, we tried five venues. And then this year, we just decided to put the pedal to the floor and we're going 15 venues. And that's um, including music as well as community panels, uh, holistic and wellness workshops, a DJ workshop, a series of cannabis-related panels, a flea market with over 30 vendors, a pool party, experimental after parties. It's pretty much a little bit of everything now. If this all sounds kind of overwhelming to people, where can they go to find out more about it? It is a bit overwhelming, but we tried to make our uh, website as comprehensive as possible, and that's uh, www.hocofest.com. We walked on the moon, flaws in a jewel. We are flies on a mule. And we're good at what we do. Matt Bacay of Hotel Congress spoke with Andrew Brown about this weekend's Hoko Fest celebration. The current issue of Arizona Highways magazine pays tribute to five visionary photographers, each of whom captured different aspects of the landscape and the spirit of the American Southwest. David Layton, who writes the Street Smarts column for the Arizona Daily Star, contributed a profile of Ray Manley, who was one of Arizona Highways' most popular photographers. I started by asking David Layton for some history about the magazine. Well, Arizona Highways as a magazine dates back quite a little while. 
uh, originally Arizona Highways was started as a kind of newsletter about 1921 is when it originally came out. It was kind of a trade journal for highway engineers, a trade journal for people who built roads. Um, the original ones were quite boring, not interesting, no photographs or anything like that back in the early 1920s, just to kind of let people know what's going on as far as road construction and a road improvement in Arizona. That's a very interesting fact because I always assumed that it was celebrating some of America's most scenic highways, which are all right here in the state. How did Ray Manley um, become associated with the magazine? Um, he had seen a nice photograph by uh, Esther Henderson, who was a well-known Arizona photographer, and that kind of inspired him to take photography more serious. I mean, he had started taking pictures when he was just a little kid because he grew up uh, in Cottonwood, which is really close to Sedona, which anyone who knows Sedona is a beautiful, beautiful area. So it's a beauty around him that inspired him to take pictures in the area um, at one point, he got a badge from being in the Boy Scouts for photography as well. And he also, his senior year in high school, took pictures for the yearbook. Um, it wasn't until about 1940, uh, right after he graduated high school, that he took about 10 pictures and submitted them to Arizona Highways on the hopes that one of them might get taken. And in 1940, uh, Raymond Carlson, who was the editor at the time for the magazine, um, did pick up one of his photographs of the San Francisco Peaks. Um, it wasn't run until 1944, likely because of the war, uh, but he did sell his first picture in 1940. So this latest issue of Arizona Highways, the September 2019 issue, uh, focuses on the work of other photographers, including Ansel Adams, Joseph Moynch, uh, Chuck Abbott, Esther Henderson. But what is it among these great names that sets Ray Manley apart? What do you think his eye uh, revealed about the Arizona terrain? I think what set him apart from the others, and all of those are great photographers. I mean, this magazine is really dedicated to the best photographers in Arizona history, um, at least ones that contribute to Arizona Highways magazine. I think his, his contribution or what separated him from the others was really his dedication. If he was determined to get a picture, he would sit there, you know, four hours in the snow or rain or heat and just till he got the perfect picture. He was a perfectionist as a photographer. I mean, there were other photographers that shot the Navajo Nation. I mean, that was his favorite subject was the Navajo Nation. He loved Monument Valley and Canyon de Chez more than probably anything else in the state. But I really think that what stood out when I was researching him uh, for the Arizona Highways article was his dedication. Like, he was determined to do it, and he was going to get the picture no matter what it cost him. And that's probably what separated him from most other photographers. What were some of the major resources that you had to draw on when you were researching this article? Um, you know, interviews uh, with his daughter, Carolyn, and his son, Alan, an oral history tape uh, that he had done um, that are on the files with the uh, Arizona Historical Society was one uh, that recorded a lot of history. Um, older articles in Arizona Highways itself, um, also archives of the Arizona Daily Star, Tucson Citizen, um, those were some of the main main sources that I used um, to to research him and his life. In addition to taking these photographs, did Ray contribute to Arizona Highways Magazine in any other ways? Yes, he did. He he wrote two or three articles over the years where he himself was the penman as well as the photographer in those. Um, so a lot of what cover is covered in those is how he took the photographs. 
So this article here that I wrote is probably the first one that really kind of covers his life. Um, most of the other ones were just how he took pictures, um, the right lighting and stuff like that, and how, how to's do them and stuff like that, where he does share a little bit of his history of his own life in there. Uh, but this is the first one that I know of that's really dedicated to his life in the September 2019 issue that I wrote. So David, here's a paragraph from the end of your article. It says, in 1997, a stroke left Manley partly paralyzed and unable to speak. He saw his final Ray Manley sunset in 2006, six years before his wife also passed away. Um, that's very poignant. And to call it a Ray Manley sunset, what qualities do you think that a Ray Manley sunset has? What, what was he able to capture and see that others maybe didn't? It's hard to describe it. Maybe it's a mystical part, something you can't describe. It's you see it and you go, wow. So I think that's what people do when they see those photographs. They go, wow, this is a sunset. And I think that's what made it special is the way he took the picture. It's hard to describe because it's just, it's a feeling more than it is an actual scientific thing. David Layton's Street Smarts column runs the first Monday of every month in the Arizona Daily Star. His profile of photographer, Ray Manley, can be found in the September 2019 issue of Arizona Highways. And we have samples of Manley's images at azpm.org. Next, visit Tumerico, one of Tucson's thriving vegan restaurants, and hear the story of its creation from owner and chef, Wendy Garcia. My first restaurant was, um, it was a hometown buffet back in the day, the one on Oracle and River, and I was uh, as a dishwasher. I was washing dishes there. I even work at Taco Bell too. Chipotle, yeah, and I got fired two times of Chipotle. <laughs> yeah, they measure everything, and they just want you to measure little things, and like you have to like follow the recipes, and you have to do what they tell you to do. And I think I don't like that. We are at, in Tucson, Arizona, at Tumerico. We make experiments, good experiments here, with a lot of spices and fresh ingredients. I know a lot of people, they don't handle spicy very well, but they need it, so I throw a little bit in there. I'll try to make a lot of food for you. Today, we're just gonna keep it simple. We're making a little salsa for a carne asada tacos that we're gonna make. The chile is sometimes a little bitter, so mesquite flour is really smooth. I like the flavor a lot, so it'll be creamy. These are the uh, tumerico carnitas. They're made of jackfruit. We made them here, and then this is uh, jackfruit carnitas right here. I love nopalitos, because they're everywhere here. And they're super good for you. Cooking is a part of me. It's been on my family for generations. My dad was a big eater. He loved food and my grandma loved food. I grew up eating like meat, like really good quality meat back in the days. And one of the reasons that I became vegan, because I moved here when I was 17 and I started getting fat and very unhealthy and I just didn't like it. So I, at one point I realized that it was the food. It was like all this fried food. I mean, it tastes delicious, but it's not good for you. So I got my tortillas going. We use corn tortillas. 
GMO-free corn, because everybody gets crazy. All the chilies that we did, so we're gonna use that salsa for our carne asada tacos. This is just spinach and veggies that we just got here this morning with a little bit of balsamic. Then I got the rice, and then this rice has turmeric. That's why it's yellow, because we like turmeric here. A turmerico, we like turmeric. Black beans, guacamole on the carne asada tacos. This right here is vegan cashew cream. So we're gonna do a little epazote pesto on top of the nopal. And I, I love plantains, so we're just gonna put a plantain right in there. So these are the carne asada tacos with roasted salsa. I don't see vegan food as different from any other food. I grew up with this uh, food, like the flavors, the spices, the way the food is cooked, like it's fresh. Have you guys been here before or no? First time? All right, just so you know, the menu is on a blackboard because we change it every day. So um, we try and use ingredients that are either local or organic for everything, and everything's gonna be vegan as is, but you're welcome to add cheese or eggs to whatever dish you want. I've been here about two and a half years. Daniel, Weintraub. Half the people that regularly come here aren't even vegetarian. They just like really good food, and that's what this is. The first time I ate here, I definitely wasn't a vegetarian, nor was I considering becoming one, but when I had the food, it kind of opened me up to understanding that you know, meat doesn't have to be a part of every meal. My grandma, my nana, like, she would make food, but we didn't have any recipes. And I used to love it, and it was all about family. We don't have recipes, like, I don't make. I, I never sit down and write recipes. Rocio, ahorita me guarda esas dos ollas de salsa en el refri, por favor. I used to work two jobs for a long time, but at one point, maybe when I was on my it's maybe like 28. I just couldn't do it anymore, like le late nights. Can you run food for me, please? You stay on the window, please. It's Rudy, Rudy Cortez. I saw her go from uh, just carrying a cooler of food with a table and chairs. Butternut squash tamales at the farmer's market. Yeah, on a little table with no money at all. And I was like so insecure and I was so scared because I didn't like talking to people. I think I sold like maybe, I made like $60 the first time. Yeah, but I was happy because I sold some tamales. So, oh, maybe I can do this. When I started here, it was just the first half of the restaurant. Um, so we didn't have this other space. It blew up really fast and I don't think Wendy had expected it to become that popular that quickly. And now she's opening downtown and it's just, I. I feel overwhelmed with like, with like, just a lot of compassion for her because I, I think she's really, really amazing human being. She works uh, harder than anyone I've really ever known. So, I mean, she really started this from the ground up. Uh, truly, she's a very admirable person with her intensity. You know. Those machacas con tofu. Tienes tofu. I get up in the morning, I come to the kitchen, I'm really excited to get here. It just feels good when I put a plate of food on a table for somebody and they feel good about it. And then I see them like eating the food and it's just like, oh yeah, this makes me feel good, this feels good. 
So it's more than just making just a plate of food. Like I don't see it just like that. You know, I see it more like something bigger than me. And it sounds crazy, but that's how I feel. Our visit to Tumerica was produced by Andrew Brown. You can see the story as it appeared on Arizona Illustrated at azpm.org. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. AZPM's news director is Andrea Kelly. The music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.